Okay, well, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2 tonight. And I think that I told you this on the very first week, but how this came about, uh, the first, second, and third John series, is that is exactly what the Bellevue women are doing over in the Fellowship Hall. They're doing it on Tuesday mornings. They're doing it on Wednesday nights. And so Miss Dana, who is the director over Bellevue Women, asked me if we would be interested in coming alongside them and studying the same thing. And so I said, yes, we would love to. I said, why don't we get together and decide how we want to break up the passages? And she said, well, we've already done that. We've been writing for six months. I said, well, that's not fair. I only have like six weeks. And so I just kind of have to take what they've, what they've written, okay? And I'm not teaching what they've written, but I'm teaching that passage and uh, we got to go with it. So we're in 17 verses today. Now, I had a preaching professor a couple years ago tell us that anytime you try to teach more than six verses, you're in trouble because there's no way you can unpack everything that's there. So here's what I want to say to you. There is a lot here. There's a lot. There's a lot in 1 John 1 that we weren't able to unpack. What I'm hoping and praying is that this is spurring you on to dig deeper into the Word. We're going to hit some high points. We're going to talk about some different things, but I'm hoping that your personal time with the Lord, whatever that looks like, that you're spending some time in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and that you'll continue to dig. And what I would like for us to do is, on occasion, when we go into those table discussions, don't even worry about the question on the screen. If God has given you something, and you say, man, I really saw this, I want to make sure that you share that at your table. I got an email from a gentleman in here a couple days ago, he said, you asked the question, what was our takeaway from 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6? And he said, let me send it to you. And he sent it to me, and it was a blessing to me. And so I want to make sure that we are sharpening each other around the table. As iron sharpens iron, one man does another. So make sure that when you're around the table, you're not just talking about who is going to win the Super Bowl, but you are talking about what God is doing in your life through reading his word. Okay? So, Let's jump into it. This is 1 John chapter 2. Let's begin in verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments." The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walks. So let's take a break. Instead of reading all 17, let's take a break right here, and I want to talk to you about a couple things here. Look specifically at verse 3. By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm reading the word, there are a few tools that I use. And I don't know what you use when you're reading. Maybe you're just reading straight from the word and you're praying and there is nothing wrong with that. I commend you for that. That's the way I like to do it. I like to read. I like to reread. I like to read it again. I like to listen to it. And so I've gotten in the habit, especially if I'm teaching a specific passage to where I'll read that passage three, four, five times in the morning. I'll read it three, four, five times in the evening, but I've also gotten in the habit of when I'm driving down the road, I'll push play on the Bible app and I'll listen to it. 
and I'll read it in different versions just to kind of see how different people are, are, are using the language there. But then there's some other tools that I use. And one of the tools that I'm specifically using, here's the two tools that I'm using the most for this. Now, I use a bunch of commentaries, but these are the two pieces I'm using the most. Number one is the Bible. Can I get an amen? Okay. I am sick and tired of hearing teachers and even preachers that will begin to tell you how to teach, and the first place they go is not the Bible. Uh, we don't need them, okay? As a matter of fact, Revelations talks about men like that. As a matter of fact, First, Second, Third John talks about people like that. We need the Bible to be the foundation of everything that we do and say. But another book that I'm using is by David Allen. It's on First, Second, Third John, Fellowship in God's Family, and it's, uh, it's in a series called Preaching the Word. David Allen was a preaching professor at Southwestern Seminary and still teaches there, but is also now a preaching professor right across the street at Mid-America. And someone gifted me this book, and the Lord has really blessed me through it. So I want to share with you what Dr. Allen said, David Allen's three things you can know from verse 3. Now, here's something that I really like. Sometimes Brother Steve will get up there and he'll really say, we can know and it doesn't even matter what comes after we can know because I know that he's going to have started with God's word and he's going to show me something that we can know from God's word. Now, there's some things we can wonder, we can question, we can say, you know, I'm not real sure, but there are certain things in life that we can know for sure. Like we know that it takes oxygen to breathe. We know that there's something called gravity. We know that eventually, at some point, you need to drink water and you need to eat food. In order, There's some things we know. But aren't you thankful when we go to God's word, everything we read, we can know. Because it is truth. And so David Allen looks at verse 3, and let me put verse 3 back up there one more time. It says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Here's the three things Dr. Allen says. Number one, he says, you can know God. And I love that. There's a lot of people, when you talk to them about their faith, well, you know, I'm, I hope, or you know, I, I, I think, or I'm prayerful. Dr. Allen says, this verse right here says, you can know God. Now, just for a moment, I want you to try to wrap your mind around the fact that the God that spoke the world into existence has a desire that you know him personally. I want you just for a moment to wrap your mind around the fact that the one that said, let there be light, and there was light, has a desire that you would come before him and you would pray. I want you to, to think about, for a moment, about that story early in the Gospels where Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist. And it says the Spirit of God rested upon Jesus as he came up out of the water like a dove. The Father spoke. I want you to think about the fact that that God, the one that was at the burning bush, the one that parted the Red Sea, and we could go on and on and on, that God desires that you know him. And what he says here is you can know God. Second thing Dr. Allen says is you can know that you know God. Now, I love this because he says you can know God, but you also can be, you can rest assured that it is possible that you can know God. He says you can know that you know God. Now, where does he get that? Let's go back to what it says in verse 3. By this, we know that we have come to know him. I think this is important because some people would say, well, you can't know for sure. Yes, you can. 
you can know for sure. I have all throughout my life seen the faithfulness of God to provide in ways that cannot be explained by anybody. I've shared some stories of growing up in here before, but I grew up in a home where my father was an electrician and made really good money and then surrendered to ministry, and we moved to Memphis, and my dad sold everything we had. We moved to Memphis, and he used a little bit of that to pay for school, and then my dad's just this guy that gives stuff away. And so before long, he pretty much given everything away, and there were times where as I was growing up, there just wasn't anything. And when I say there wasn't anything, there was nothing. And I can remember having conversations with my parents and say, there are no Christmas presents, there are no birthday presents. And I can remember my father even saying one time to us, it's amazing that this week I did not know where our food was going to come from, but God has been faithful. And I've watched God all throughout my life be faithful, and he has shown me that I can know him. And Dr. Allen says, you can know that you know him. And then the third thing he says is this. He says, you can know that obedience to the commandments of God becomes evidence that you know God. Well, let us sink in for just a minute. Because what he says in verse three is this. By this we know that we have come to know him. How do we know that we know him? We keep his commandments. Now, when I read this verse, it's kind of a little bit of a punch in the stomach because it's like, but I've broken so many of his commandments and I've had so much sin in my life. What what does he mean by this, that we have to keep his commandments? Do we have to keep them to perfection? And if we don't, does this mean that we don't know God? It's a question we have to wrestle with a little bit. What does he mean by this, that if we keep his commandments? Dr. Allen says, you can know that obedience to the commandments of God becomes evidence that you know God. I want to share with you three tests from 1 John 2. I'll come back to what Dr. Allen said in a minute. Three tests of 1 John 2. Number one, the test of knowing him. The test of knowing him. He says in verse 1, he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you So that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he goes on to talk about how he's the propitiation for our sins, that he paid for our sins. He took our place on the cross and paid for our sins. And what it talks about right here is how we can know that we know God. What we have, um, I'm sorry, verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. In verse 4. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not like tests. I never cared for them when I was growing up in school. I didn't care for them when I got to college. And then I decided to take a very long break in my college career Uh, just over 10 years to be exact, until Brother Steve looked me in the eyes a few years ago and said, it's time to go back to school. And I went home and told my wife, I've got to enroll in in college. And she said, why? I said, because Brother Steve told me to. And she said, I've been asking you for 10 years to go back and get this degree. And Brother Steve says, one time to go back to school, and you've gone back to school. So I went back to school. And you know what? Here's the deal. I love to read. I have a passion to read. I love to read. I love to study. I love to study God's word. I love to study commentaries. And I love to listen to lectures. I love to listen to preaching. I love to listen to teaching. I do not like exams. I do not like the ones that come as a surprise either. I don't like pop quizzes. As a matter of fact, yesterday, 
I took my first exam in my Greek 2 class in seminary. And if you know anything about how Greek 1 went for me, you would be very worried for me in Greek 2 because it was a struggle. But I took that exam. Here is an exam. He says, you want to know if you know God? You'll keep his commandments. There's the answer. You'll keep his commandments. Do you obey? Do you have obedience in your life? I got a wonderful email a couple days ago from Mr. Larry Lim. Now, if you don't know Brother Larry, he is actually at table number four right here. He teaches a life group here at Bellevue, and he is a man that just loves Jesus, and I'm always encouraged by my time around him. And he sent me an email, and in that email, there's a quote he had, and here it is. He said, and I want to put it up on the screen. I've got to fast forward here just a little bit. He said this. He said, it's not that we have to keep his commandments. It's that we want to keep his commandments. I want you to listen to the difference here. We look at it as legalism. Well, if I don't do this, and what ends up happening is Christianity becomes a checklist of do's and don'ts, and that's not what Jesus came to earth for at all. He didn't come to earth so that you and I would try to keep this perfect list of things. Here's the reality. The God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords allows you and I to follow him. He allows you and I to love him. He allows you and I to have a relationship with him. He allows you and I to follow in obedience. What we're talking about here is conduct. Conduct. In David Allen's book, as I was reading, there was a quote that really stuck out to me. It said, conduct is the best evidence of character. Conduct is to character what leaves and flowers and fruits are to a tree. I love that. You can take and take some leaves off of a tree or take a piece of fruit off of a tree or you could take a flower for the trees that have flowers and you could take them to somebody that knows something about trees and they could tell you exactly what kind of tree it came off of. And now, because of Google, you could just take a picture of it and Google it and you could figure it out for yourself what kind of tree because that tree bears those things. And so what he's talking about here is if you love God, you will follow him with obedience, not because you have to, but because you get to, because you want to, because you desire to. So here's my question for us tonight, and this is a question that I was wrestling with this week. Oftentimes, do I do things because I think I have to, or I do things because I desire to? You see, I believe with all my heart that when Jesus Christ comes into our life and truly saves us, he begins to change our desires. When I was growing up, I had one desire. The desire was to play in the NBA. Now look at me. It didn't happen. It was very far from that. I would still think it would be amazing to play in the NBA. That's not God's plan for my life. Even if someone was to call me today and offer me a contract in the NBA, I would turn it down. He's taken that desire away from me. I don't desire to play in the NBA anymore. I enjoy playing the game of basketball. I enjoy playing basketball with my kids. I have no desire to do that anymore. He's put a new passion and desire inside of my heart. And so I have the question of, do we desire to obey the Lord? So I want us to ask a question. If this is the fruit of knowing God, obedience is the fruit of knowing God, why is it that obedience is difficult for us sometimes? Not all the time, but sometimes. 
Why is it difficult? Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to put the question on the board, on the screen. You've got eight minutes to discuss, but you also, in that eight minutes, have to get more nachos or it's going to go away. you got eight minutes for that, okay? So you're going to discuss. You can get nachos. In eight minutes, they're going bye-bye. So get some seconds. Start talking. Go. If I had to answer the question personally, why is obedience difficult in my life, and someone just brought me a, a note that they had written uh, with the, their answers to the three questions for the homework and they had this word written down. But if I had to answer the question for me personally, the answer to why is obedience difficult for me, oftentimes it is this, is selfishness. It's complete selfishness. Um, I told uh, guys in our life group this past Sunday a story that happened to me during the snowstorm uh, a couple weeks ago. So my uh, youngest daughter takes piano lessons from a lady right around the corner over here in Countrywood, and so she texted my wife and said, hey, listen, uh, she, my daughter has piano uh, 1.30 on Tuesday. She said, hey, listen, uh, I'm still going to do piano practice because I do it from my home, so the snow doesn't really bother me, so you can either come here or we can do it uh, over Zoom. And so we had already been out sledding, and I had driven around a little bit, so I said, well, I'll just drive her. We don't live far from there. So I took her over there, and she went in and did piano, and I came up here to the church to grab a couple things from my office. And so I go back, and right as I'm getting ready to leave, I walk through Alex Leone's office because he asked me to take a picture of something on his desk and text it to him. And as I'm getting ready to walk out of his office, he has this little jar of Hershey's Miniature Chocolates. I got an amen out of that. He specifically has the dark chocolate with almonds, and for me, that is a weakness. And so I got four of them, okay? I got four of them. Now, listen, I thought he owes me, you know, I came up here in the snow and, you know, took this picture for him, and so I took four. Now, they're little, okay? But this is how selfish I am. I began thinking, if I get to my daughter and these are left, she's going to eat some of my Hershey's miniatures, and it's only like a three to five minute drive, so I kind of, you know, I had the time figured out to where I've got to eat one now, eat one when I get in the truck, so that I had it planned out they would be gone, because really I'm looking out for her. You know, those are bad for her. She doesn't need the sugar. You know, I've, I've, you know and what we do is we justify our sin. That's, that's, all, that's just to put it simply, I was justifying it, right? So we get there, she gets in the car, and she's just grinning ear to ear. And I said, how'd piano go? She said, it was awesome. I was great. And she's full of humility. And she says, uh, I was so good that the teacher gave me a box of milk duds. Now, it's one of those little bitty boxes. Does anybody know how many comes in there? Four, right? Or five. Sometimes five. If you get real lucky, you get five. You know, you're like, oh, all right. But there was four in there. She said, can I eat these? I said, absolutely. Didn't think another thing about it. We get almost back to the house, and she taps me on my shoulder, and she said, here, I want you to have my last milk dud. And I said, oh, baby, I don't want your milk. I'm lying. You know, so now I've justified my sin. Now I'm lying because who doesn't want a caramel-covered, you know, chocolate-covered caramel? And, uh, and I said, baby, I don't want that. You, you, eat, you eat the milk dud. And she said, Daddy, I really want you. I said, baby, I want you to eat the milk dud. And she said, please eat this milk dud. I want you to eat it. And I don't know how to explain it to you. It was, like the, it was like the best thing I've ever put in my mouth, and it tastes like poison at the same time. <laughs> and the Lord just reminded me of my selfishness. My selfishness. 
And I think for me personally, this is the biggest hindrance in my life is that oftentimes and most of the time, I'm more concerned about me than I am the Lord. Let's look at verse six together. It says, the one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. I love that word abide. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. Verse eight, on the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you. Now let's just stop for a second. Did he or did he not just tell them he was not writing a new commandment to them? He said, it's an old commandment, and then he says in verse 8, on the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment. Is he writing a new commandment, or is he not writing a new commandment? What is he doing here? It says, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Look at verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now, there's a lot going on in these passages. The first thing that really jumps out at me is he says, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old one. And then in the next word, it's like in the next breath he says, but on the other hand, I'm writing to you a new commandment. But then what's interesting is he really doesn't tell them what commandment it is. We don't really discover exactly what commandment he's talking about until a few verses later. And really, in the last couple chapters of 1 John, when he talks all about love. Because remember, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What do you think they were looking for? They were looking for which of the Ten Commandments is the most important. And what does Jesus tell them? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest commandment is love. Now, they've known this in the Old Testament that love is important. They know that. They know because when you read the Shema in Deuteronomy, early there in in chapter 6, when you read it, it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the Jews were so legalistic in the way that they lived, they didn't really grasp what love truly was. When they began to grasp what love really was, was when this person named Jesus came onto the scene. And not only did he speak of love, but he actually embodied what love actually is. And he showed us what love actually was by going to the cross and taking our place and paying for our sin when we didn't deserve that. That's what love really is. As a matter of fact, it's interesting in Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul is addressing marriage, he says that marriage should look like what? Jesus and the church. And he talks about how Jesus sacrificed himself for the church. Now you think about it. As husbands, he's called us to sacrifice for our wives and children 
like Jesus sacrificed for the church. Well, that's a pretty tall order. And as a matter of fact, if you go back into the garden when Jesus was getting ready the night before, before he was crucified, he was in the garden praying, sweat and blood, water and blood are coming out. He's, he's praying, and he says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will but yours. He, he, he wanted to do what God wanted him to do. He wanted to do what the Father, but he didn't want to have to go through the suffering, the pain that he was going to physically have to go through. You see, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. He had hit his thumb with a hammer before. He knew what pain was, and he knew what he's getting ready to endure, but he was willing that he would endure for you and I, and he would sacrifice for you and I and pay what we couldn't pay. That's what love is. So when John says, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, I'm talking about an old commandment, it's that commandment of love, but it's completely fresh, it's completely different when you look at the person of Jesus Christ because of what love really is. So that's the first thing that really stuck out to me is he says, I'm not writing a new commandment, I'm writing an old commandment, but then again, I'm writing a new commandment. The second thing that I find interesting is that he seems to address different groups of men. Did you, did you catch it? He says little children, then he says fathers, then he says young men. So I think we have to stop and ask the question, is he talking about physical birth, physical life? Is he talking about physical? So is he, talk, is he saying little children? So he's talking to my kids, you know, 18 and under. Then he's talking to the young men, let's say ages 20 to whatever, whatever you consider young to be. And then when he says old men, is he talking about men that are physically older in years? Or is it possible that he's talking to people looking at their spiritual maturity? I think that he's talking about the spiritual maturity. But it's also interesting that you get different viewpoints on is he talking to three groups of people or is he talking to one group of people or two groups of people? You say, what do you mean? He starts off by saying little children, but he said little children in chapter one. He says little children later on when he's addressing the entire ecclesia, that is the church. I'm not talking about the physical brick mortar thing that we call the church. If Jesus lives inside of you, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, you are the church. And so when he says little children, he's addressing all believers. So he says little children. It seems that he's addressing all believers. But then he also says, and fathers and young men. So what he appears to be saying here is he appears to be saying all believers. And then he appears to be saying those of you that are more mature, you've been saved longer. Because if you think about it at this time, the people in the church, many of them would have been saved for a very long time. John had been around a long time. They had been preaching the word a long time. A lot of these churches that they would have been addressing would have been established for quite a long time. There could have been people in the church that would have seen, would have been in contact with Jesus. We don't know that, but if you look at the time period, it's very likely. And so there may be people there that have been on that spiritual journey of walking with Jesus for a while when he talks about fathers. Then he talks about young men. So those that were earlier in their faith, how many of you know that there is a time when you drink milk? But as you begin to mature in the faith, you begin to desire more. I remember when my children were growing up, and when they first started, they drank milk. They couldn't handle anything else. But as they began to develop, and they began to grow, and they began to get stronger, they began to need more than just milk. And I love milk. I decided my junior year of high school I was going to bulk up for basketball. 
I weighed a whopping 155 pounds at 6'2", playing basketball. I decided I needed to get to 200, and so I decided I was only going to drink whole milk, and that's all I was going to drink. When I said that's all I was going to drink, I didn't just mean I'm only going to drink whole milk when I drink milk. I meant all I'm going to drink at all is whole milk. I drank four gallons in a day and a half. Let me tell you, you can't do a whole lot when you've, drinking, when you've drank four gallons of milk. You are not waterlogged, you are milklogged. And you can't run and you can't jump and you don't feel so good. And so my bulking up turned into sickness, which then turned into me getting a lot of stuff out of my system to where I dropped down to 150. So no more milk for me. And I began to read and research on how to bulk up, and I began to read about protein and about meat and how to properly do it, and because my body was more mature. And I believe what John is saying here is he's talking to not only those that are early in the faith, they're young in the faith, but he's also talking to those that are older in the faith. And I believe both groups of people are very important in the life of the church. And I believe both groups of people are very important in the life of the other. You see, Paul had a Timothy. Timothy also had a Paul. They're both very important. They're both very needed. I sat in a meeting one time with some people from different generations, and I posed the question that this younger man in his early 20s needed to have a relationship with this man in his 80s. They were Before this man retired, they were in the same occupation. They had a lot of the same likes and dislikes. And I shared with them that I think they both needed each other. And this was very fascinating. The young man said this, I need you. And the old man said, no, you don't. Because if you needed me, you would have already asked me for help. And it got very tense for a moment. And then the older gentleman said this. He said, if you really seek my wisdom, then you need to seek it. You need to come talk to me. You need to build a relationship with me. And I thought, well, that's pretty good. It's true. He needs to know that you want that. And then the table flipped. The younger man looked him in the eyes and said, if you're so much more mature than I am, why would you not have come to me? And as we walked through and began to talk about how we could bridge the gap between these generations, men, I look around this room. We need each other. We need men that are further down the road. I need men that are further down the road that can encourage me in my faith, that can help correct me when I need correcting, that can help encourage me when I need encouragement, that can help just lend a hand when I need a hand. I need other people that I can pour into as well. And I believe he's talking to the church here when he says, I have written you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. He's talking to them. So here is the second test I think we see here. It's this, the test of abiding in him. How do we know? How do we know if we know him? If we're obeying his commandments. It's obedience. You want to know if you actually know the Lord? I like the way Mr. Larry put it. You don't have to do his commandments. You want to do his commandments. You want to obey. So you see obedience being the answer to that test. The second test is the test of abiding in him. And what is the answer? How do we know if we're abiding in Christ? What is the fruit of abiding in Christ? What he says here in 1 John chapter 2 is love. It's love. 
I had an opportunity a few years ago to be driving down the road with a friend of mine. He doesn't go to church here. As a matter of fact, to be honest with you, I don't think he goes to church anywhere. I, I really wish he would. He lives in uh, Knoxville now. And we were going downtown to play basketball. This is a few years back, and we were having a good conversation, and this guy cuts us off. Well, my buddy gets pretty angry, and so he whips around. He tries to cut him off, and next thing I know, it's kind of going back and forth, and the guy rolls his window down and tells us to pull over, and the whole deal just escalates quickly. And my buddy says, I tell you what, if he gets out of that truck, I'm going to whoop his tail. And I said, well, you better wait till you see what he looks like when he gets out of the truck. That's always what I'm worried about, you know. I mean, can you take the guy? I don't know. You think you can until you see him. You know, I don't know. I said, but I just don't think this is a good idea. And he said, you know what? He said, I hate people like that. And I said, well, why? What did he do to you? He said, he cut us off. I said, well, maybe he didn't see you. He said, well, I didn't think about that. I said, maybe he's in a hurry. Maybe he's late for a job interview, and he's just trying to feed his family. He said, I didn't think about that either. I said, or maybe you're just speeding and he's driving the speed limit, and when he came over into your lane, you were going faster where it just felt like he was cutting you off. He said, I didn't think about that either. I said, you got to quit blaming other people. He said, well, I'll tell you this. If he gets out of that truck, I'm going to beat his tail. I said, okay, whatever. I said, I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm going to stay in, and if you get out, I'm locking the doors, okay? And, and, and by the way, if it gets bad, I'm driving away, all right? I'll just get in the driver's seat and drive away. But when he said the words, I hate people like that, it really struck a chord in me. And I started thinking about how, you know what, when you're walking in darkness, you easily hate. Love flows down from the Father. Love is a byproduct of experiencing love. And I'll tell you how I know this. I did an experiment a few years ago. Drew Tucker, our associate pastor, told me one time, we're getting ready to leave somewhere. He said, hey, I love you, man. I said, I love you too. And another guy was there, and he turned around, and he said, do you all always tell each other you love each other? And Drew said, no, but on occasion, I like to make sure that people, people know I love them. And the other guy said, man, I don't think I've ever told a guy I love him before. And we got in the truck, and Drew told me, he said, Derek, he said, men that grew up with parents that said the words, I love you, don't have an issue typically saying, I love you. He said, but ones that didn't experience that growing up, you'll hardly ever hear them say the words. You see, when you experience that, it flows out of you. When you're walking in the Spirit, when you're abiding in Christ, Christ allows you to see people for who he sees them as, not who you think they are. And what is the answer to this test of abiding in love, or abiding in him? The answer is love. How do you know? It's a litmus test. How do you know if I'm abiding in Christ? Well, how are you loving the Lord right now? What's your relationship with the Lord look like? He says, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm not a, a rocket scientist, but that seems like every aspect of your being. Are you loving God with every aspect of your being? And how's your relationship with other people? Are you loving other people like Christ does? Are you loving other people like Jesus does? Let's take a few minutes and talk about this around the table. Why do we not love people like we should? And I'm not saying this as a blanket statement as we never love people like we should. But why is it that sometimes we find it difficult to love people like Christ calls us to love them? Why don't you talk about it around your table? We'll come back in a few minutes. All right, guys, let's look at these last three verses. Look at verse 15. 
It says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and it also and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. The last thing I want us to see here is the test of the world, the test of loving the world. What is the answer to this? You want to know if you're loving the world, the question is, are you trying to fulfill your own will and going after the things of the world, or are you doing his will? Are you doing the will of the Father? You say, what does that look like? What does it look like to do the will of God in my life? We used to have a guy in our life group. He's a very, very dear friend of mine. His name's Tyler. Tyler moved a few years ago to Mississippi, and he is a dog trainer. He trains black labs, and he is very, very good. As a matter of fact, if I say his name in this room, there would be five or six of you who say, I know him. I've seen him on TV. Very good at what he does. He's known all over the country. One time Tyler asked me, he said, Derek, he said, how do you know if you're in God's will? How do you know that? Like, for instance, he said, my dad teaches and preaches the word. Now, his dad has passed, has passed on a couple, just a couple years ago, but this was before he had passed away. He said, my dad teaches the word, and I used to grow up thinking, I'm, I'm going to grow up and, and teach the word like my dad and be this great preacher like my dad. He said, but I really feel like God's gifted me in this, and I feel like, he said, so how do I know, how do I know if I'm doing God's will or not? Should I quit doing this, and should I teach or preach the word? That's a tough question to ask. So I'm sitting on the other side of this saying, exactly how are we going to answer this? And here's the answer. I cannot tell you what the will of God is for your life. Now, there are some things I can tell you I know God wants you to do. He wants you to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is in the will of God. I know he wants you to love your neighbor as yourself. I know that is the will of God for everybody in this room. He wants us to tell other people about him. That's his will because that's the great commission. Before he ascended into heaven, he said, go into all the world and make disciples. So we can look throughout Scripture and we can see that. But when it comes to your occupation, when it comes to the little couple that I talked to two weeks ago, how do we know for sure if this is the right one we're supposed to marry? That's between you and the Lord. You have to seek the Lord. And if you seek him, he will give you the answer. And so I said to Tyler, I said, here's what you do, Tyler. I said, you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you rest, and you wait on the Lord. And the Lord will tell you in his timing. I said, but here's what you do. In the meantime, you continue to do what you're doing right now. You don't change. Now, if you're not reading the word, you're not loving God, you're not loving other people, you need to do those things. I said, but you need to keep doing this. You need to keep going to work. You need to keep loving your family, and you need to keep seeking the Lord. Not a week passed. He called me. I was in a meeting. I couldn't answer. He leaves me a voicemail. He's ecstatic. He said, man, you got to call me. I called him. He said, you're never going to believe this. He said, I'm on my way to this dog training event, I think like in Missouri or something. He was always traveling. He said, I stopped to get gas. This guy saw the kennels on the back of my truck. He asked me if I was a trainer. We began talking. He said, I shared Jesus with him at the gas pump, and the guy got saved. He said, I am right where God wants me to be. I'm right where God wants me to be. I got a question for you. Are you right where God wants you to be? Are you doing what God wants you to do? You say, well, how do I, how do I know that? You seek the heart of God. In the book of James, he says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And I think it looks different for every one of us because we need electricians, 
We need plumbers. We need computer analysts. We need people at restaurants because I like to eat. We need people at grocery stores. We need people in gas stations. We need people that build. We need police officers. We need doctors. We need nurses. We need teachers. I could go on and on and on. There's a need for those occupations, and why shouldn't it be men that love God? So I don't know where God's placed you, but I know this. God has a plan and a purpose for you. And how do you know if you're seeking the will of God or your own will or following after the things of this world? You ask yourself, am I doing what God's called me to do? I heard a guy one time say, if you look at Adam in Genesis chapter 2, before he ever gave him a woman to love, he gave him a work to do and a will to obey. He said, God placed Adam in the middle of the garden. He gave him a purpose, and then he gave him a job. Oftentimes, we look at jobs as hard and, oh, I have to go to work. We get to go to work, men. That's how God's designed us. He's designed us to work. I grew up under a father and a grandfather who grew up on a rice farm in Louisiana. I know how to work. I know how to shovel. They instilled that inside me. And I believe that's how God's designed all of us. Doesn't mean you have to go dig in the dirt. But it doesn't mean he's given you a job to do and he's given you a will to obey. What is God's will for your life? I want to ask you the question. Have you spent time seeking the Lord and asking the Lord, are you where God wants you? I had an opportunity a couple years ago to sit down with a wonderful couple here at Bellevue. And he had said to me, we are looking to buy a new house. We need a bigger house. We have more kids now than when we bought our first house. We need a bigger house. He said, um, would you help me decide where we should move, how much money we should spend, and if we're making the right decision? I, I, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out what to do with my family. I said, but you know, I know a guy here at Bellevue. His name's Brother Jim. He's financially brilliant. He loves Jesus. And I said, let me see if I can get a meeting with him, and I'd love to sit down with him and let Brother Jim talk to you about it. And this is what Brother Jim said. He's one of the finest financial minds in the city. This is what he said. And I was so eager to hear him help this family crunch numbers and figure out how big of a house they could buy. He said this. He said, well, let me ask you a question. How much have you prayed about does God want you to move or does God want you to stay right where you want to be? And the guy responded with, well, I've got more kids and I'm just trying to provide something better for him. He said, you haven't answered the question. How much have you prayed and asked the Lord, does he want you to move to a different neighborhood, to a different house, or does he have you right where he wants you to be? And he said, I don't guess we've prayed about it that way. And he said, well, you need to begin praying that way. Because he said, I'm going to tell you right now, if you move out of this neighborhood and you move into a nicer neighborhood and you're paying all kinds of money and then you have to go get a second job or you have to take a different promotion at work and you never get to be at home with those kids, it's not worth it. He said, you need to go exactly where God wants you to be. And it may just be he wants you to be in a smaller house with two kids in each room and he's got you right where he wants you to be. So I want to ask you a question. Are you where God wants you to be? How do you know if you're seeking the things of the world? Well, the answer is, are you doing the will of the Father? I'm going to cut this down. I was putting time on the thing, but I don't want you to talk about this around the table. I want you to ask yourself the question. I'm just going to give you just about a minute. What is God calling you to do? Prayerfully, it's exactly what you're doing right now, but sometimes... 
We're doing our own thing. Or sometimes God's birthing something new in our hearts. I got to go yesterday, and uh, what is today, Wednesday? Yes, yesterday. Yesterday morning at 7.30, I got to speak to some of the finest men at Bellevue Baptist Church. They belong to a group called the Romeos. We got some Romeos in this room. Romeos stands for Retired Old Men Eating Out. They eat at Danvers on Tuesday mornings, and I got to go over there, and as I looked around that table, I thought, these are some of the wisest men in all the church, and I'm thankful that they'll get up early on a Tuesday morning, and they'll drive up to Danvers, and yes, they'll get their cup of coffee, and yes, they'll eat some breakfast, but they're eager to study the Word. They're eager to encourage one another. And I thought to myself, we need more Romeos. We need more men of God like that. I was not a blessing to them. They were a major blessing to me. Are you where God wants you to be? I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. Then you've got a few minutes around your table. You can talk. You can pray for each other. You can get up and leave, whatever you want to do. One of the things I wanted to do tonight with the nachos is just have some fellowship around the table. Just encourage each other. I like to hear you guys laugh. I like to see you talking about the word. What I really love, though, is that we've got about 140, 150 men in this room right now that have come with their Bibles open, and they want to dig into the word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for these men. Thank you, God, that you love us. Thank you for this writing here in John. And, Lord, we could spend, goodness, weeks in this chapter, chapter 2. But, Lord, I thank you that you've given us these things that we can look at. And, Lord, I pray today that each one of us will ask ourselves the question, am I obeying God like I'm supposed to? Am I loving God and loving people like I'm supposed to? And am I following God's will for my life? Lord, I pray you will give these men these answers. I pray where they need wisdom, you'll give them wisdom. I pray where they need encouragement, you'll give them encouragement. I pray where they need provision, you will provide for them. I pray where they need healing, you will heal them. But Lord, I pray for each one of them, Lord, that wherever you have placed them, that they will be faithful. Because, Lord, you are faithful to us. Thank you that you love us and you died to save us. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.